Hello and welcome to the podcast. My name is Julian Keats and this is Addiction in Simple Terms, a podcast in which I explain some of the important ideas in addiction to try and help you make some sense of your experiences and hopefully make some changes for the better in your life. If you've had problems with alcohol and drug use, if you're struggling with addiction, or if someone you love or care for is facing addiction, then this podcast is for you. This is episode two in a series. In this episode, I talk about how addiction, dependence and substance use disorders are diagnosed. In episode one, I spoke about how addiction works in the brain. You may want to go back and listen to that for background, but if you're listening to this as a standalone episode, you should still be able to follow along just fine. Let's make a start. To begin with, what is a diagnosis? Well, a diagnosis is when a doctor uses a specific medical term to name or label a disease, disorder or condition. But a diagnosis is not just a name. It's a shorthand way of communicating lots of information about a condition. So the diagnosis conveys information about the disease process that the doctor thinks is going on, including its cause and its symptoms. A diagnosis carries with it a certain prognosis, which is a prediction about how a disease will progress, the complications that might emerge, and its outcome. And a diagnosis also guides decision-making around treatment. So let's take, for example, diabetes. When I use the term diabetes, all doctors know that I'm talking about high blood sugar that's caused by problems with the body's insulin response. They know that untreated, in the long term, this causes damage to blood vessels in the eyes, feet, kidneys and heart. And they know that the treatment is going to involve dietary modification, exercise and weight management, as well as sometimes tablets or injections of insulin. To make a diagnosis, the doctor goes through a process to reach a decision about the most accurate name to apply to the condition. They do this by assessing the symptoms and their timeline by talking with the patient, sometimes called taking a history, by physically examining the patient for any signs or clues in the body that can be found by looking, feeling, or sometimes listening with a stethoscope. And they consider the results of any tests, such as blood or urine tests, x-rays, or CT scans. When it comes to mental health problems or psychiatric diagnoses, things get a little bit more complicated because there's no external physical signs for the doctor to find on examination and no blood tests, x-rays or CT scans that will confirm the diagnosis. So we're completely reliant on the thoughts and feelings reported by the patient and the behaviours that they either report or we can observe from the outside. It's the cluster of symptoms and timelines that forms the recognisable pattern that the doctor uses to make a psychiatric diagnosis. And if blood tests or brain scans are done, it's usually to rule out other causes such as a physical disease. Let's turn our attention to addiction. I think everybody has some idea what we mean when we use the word addiction. But just so that we're all on the same page, I want to share with you a working definition that I use. 
When I'm talking about addiction in the alcohol and drug or substance use setting, what I'm referring to is a disorder of the brain's reward, motivation and control circuits that's caused by repeated frequent drug use and results in a strong internal drive for further drug use that's often difficult to resist or control. This is sometimes called craving. This leads to substance use taking on an increased priority or focus in a person's life, while other normal activities that they used to enjoy take on a lesser priority. We also see continued substance use, despite clear evidence that it's causing harm to their health, lifestyle or general functioning. Now, there are also a whole lot of other common everyday language uses of the word addiction. And a lot of them are fairly harmless. You might say that you're addicted to Game of Thrones because you really like it and you've re-watched the series many, many times. You may say that you're addicted to jogging because you do it every morning at 6am as part of your routine and just don't feel right if you don't go for a jog. Or you could say that you're addicted to McDonald's ice cream because you can't resist ordering one every time you go through the drive-thru, no matter what else you've ordered. But there are also some negative associations with the word addiction. And calling someone an addict or describing them as addicted is sometimes thrown around as an insult or brings to mind some judgmental or dehumanising stereotypes. For that reason... The word addiction is often not used in making a diagnosis, but instead the terms substance dependence or substance use disorder are used instead. So far, we've looked at how a diagnosis is made, and I've given you a working definition for addiction. Now, in day-to-day practice, we can't easily see into the brain to pinpoint the changes responsible for addiction, so the diagnosis is based on what the patient reports and the behaviours we can observe from the outside. There's no hard and fast rule for making the diagnosis, but there are two commonly used publications that guide the practice of most doctors, and we're going to take a look at each of those now. The first guide to diagnosis to discuss is the International Classification of Diseases 10th Edition, or the ICD-10, published by the World Health Organization. This is commonly used in general hospital or general medical settings, or in public health settings. The word addiction doesn't appear in the diagnosis in the ICD-10, but instead a diagnosis of substance dependence is made if three or more of the following features or criteria are present together within the same 12 months. So the first criteria is a strong desire or sense of compulsion to use a substance or craving. The second criteria is difficulties controlling substance use, whether it be the amount or frequency, difficulty reducing or stopping use, or not restarting after a period off. The third criteria is the presence of withdrawal symptoms, which occur when substance use is abruptly reduced or stopped, or there's continued substance use to avoid or relieve withdrawal symptoms. The fourth criteria is the development of tolerance. This is where the usual amount of substance no longer produces the same effect, 
or more of the substance is needed to get the original effect. The fifth criteria is the progressive neglect of other enjoyable activities or interests because of the increased time spent on substance use, either obtaining, using or recovering from the effects. And the sixth criteria is persisting with substance use despite clear evidence of harmful consequences. ICD-10 also has a diagnosis of harmful use that can be applied. When substance use is less severe and the person doesn't meet at least three of the six substance dependence criteria. Harmful use is defined as a pattern of substance use that's causing damage to a person's physical or mental health. The pattern must be present for one month or recur repeatedly within a 12-month period, and the harm has to be clearly related to the substance use. Let's leave the ICD-10 there and move on to the next guide to diagnosis, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, 5th edition, or DSM-5, published by the American Psychiatric Association. As the title suggests, this is typically used in mental health settings by psychiatrists and psychologists. And again, the term addiction is not used in the DSM-5, but instead they use the term substance use disorder. There's a set of 11 criteria, and if two or more of these criteria are met within the last 12 months, then the diagnosis of substance use disorder is made. The number of criteria met is used to indicate the severity. So if two or three criteria are met, then the substance use disorder is described as being of mild severity. If four or five criteria are met, then it's of moderate severity. And if six or more criteria are met, then it's a severe substance use disorder. Let's take a look at each of the 11 criteria, which are organized into four groupings. The first grouping of criteria one through four has to do with impaired control. So in criteria one, the person may take the substance in larger amounts or over a longer period than was originally intended. Criteria two, they may express a persistent desire to cut down or control their substance use and may have had many unsuccessful attempts to decrease or stop in the past. Criteria three, they may spend a great deal of time obtaining or using the substance or recovering from its effects. And criteria four is cravings for the substance meaning a strong urge that can at times be overwhelming and make it hard to think of anything else. The second grouping of criteria 5 through 7 has to do with the social impairment or social problems related to substance use. So criteria 5, there may be a failure to fulfil major obligations at work, school or home because of substance use. Criteria 6, they may continue to use the substance despite ongoing social or interpersonal problems. And criteria 7, important social, occupational or recreational activities may be given up or reduced because of substance use. The third grouping includes criteria 8 and 9, 
and this group deals with risky use. So in criteria 8, there may be repeated use of the substance in situations in which it's physically hazardous for the person, such as when they're driving or in the workplace where they may be working at heights on scaffolding or operating heavy machinery. And criteria 9, they may continue to use the substance despite being aware of a physical or psychological problem that's caused or exacerbated by their use. The final grouping of criteria 10 and 11 are the pharmacological criteria. Criteria 10 is tolerance, the need for markedly increased doses to get the same effect, or a reduced effect if the usual dose of the substance is used. And criteria 11 is withdrawals, the particular set of symptoms that occur when blood levels of a substance decrease significantly in someone who's been using heavily for a prolonged period. DSM-5 specifically points out that if tolerance and withdrawal are the only criteria that are met and they occur during appropriate medical treatment with the prescribed medication, with no other symptoms of compulsive or drug-seeking behaviour, then substance use disorder should not be diagnosed. But it is also possible to misuse prescription medications. So if a person is taking medications incorrectly, taking them when they shouldn't be, or getting medications from multiple sources, such as doctor shopping or buying them off the black market, or if they're exhibiting other behaviours of compulsive drug use, then it may be reasonable to make a diagnosis of substance use disorder relating to prescription medications. You've now heard a bit about the ICD-10 and the DSM-5, the two classification systems used by doctors to make a formal diagnosis. But don't get too hung up on the details of whether a person meets 4 out of 6 or 5 out of 11 criteria using whichever system. The important thing to recognise are the common threads that are present, whether we're talking about addiction, dependence or substance use disorder. Those common threads include the strong desire or craving to use that's hard to resist, the difficulty controlling use and being unable to cut down or stop even when problems are obvious, the greater priority and time that substance use take up in a person's life, and the lesser priority given to school, work, relationships, parenting and other important activities in preference for substance use. Tolerance and withdrawals are signs of physical dependence that may accompany the behavioural changes of psychological dependence, and they're important if they're present because they may indicate a more severe problem. But they aren't present in all cases, and are not enough just on their own to make a diagnosis. Typically, as more of these common threads build up, a person has a more severe problem, and the more likely you are to see serious risks and harms accumulate in their life and affect their health and general well-being. Now, you may have noticed that nowhere in either of these systems is there a mention of how much or how often a person uses. It is repeated frequent use that causes addiction, but the exact amount and duration varies from person to person, and other vulnerabilities play a role, things such as genetics, personality, environment and life circumstances. As a rough guide, 
In someone who's vulnerable, as little as a few weeks of regular daily or near daily use of a substance can lead to the development of addiction. Some less vulnerable individuals seem to be able to use regularly for much longer periods without running into trouble and may be able to pick up or put down their drug of choice pretty easily. But even in these people, if their life circumstances or environment change, such as going through a divorce or the death of a loved one, or becoming unemployed or going to jail, then they may become more vulnerable to developing addiction and related problems at a level of use that previously was no problem at all. We're almost to the end of the episode, so stick with me. But before we finish, there's one more thing I want to cover. I've spoken about addiction as a brain disease that results in various symptoms that can be recognised by a doctor to make a diagnosis of substance dependence or substance use disorder. And hopefully that's been interesting and informative and useful to you. But you may be thinking to yourself, that's all well and good, but how do I tell if I'm addicted? Well, I think in most cases, not all, but in most cases, if a person is honest with themselves, Deep down, you just kind of know, at least on some level. You may not be experiencing mad cravings. You may be trying really hard to prove to yourself or to others that your use is under control. You may not realise the harmful effects that use is having on your physical and psychological health, or you may at least be turning a blind eye to some of the harms. Or you may not want to say it out loud or hear other people say it. But on some level, often well before it's had a devastating effect on your life or become obvious to others, you do realise that your desire to use has got some sort of hold on you. In an ideal world, that would be the point to intervene, to reach out and to do something. Sadly, too often that's not what happens, and you can end up a lot further down the road before you look around and realise where you're at. And on that cheery note... I think it's time to wrap things up. Next time, I'll be asking the question, why do people use drugs? I'll be discussing some of the factors that lead to initial experimentation and why some people go on to become regular drug users. Please join me then for Episode 3 of Addiction in Simple Terms. <laughs>